Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. And Happy New Year, everybody. We've got another great year ahead of movie reviews and interviews with local filmmakers, theater owners, scholars, and movie buffs planned for 2018. But as we like to do at the beginning of each new year, today's episode is going to be all about the best movies of the year that was. I'm joined in the studio today by my usual end-of-year crew, or at least one half of it. We'll see if the other half shows as well. Uh, New Haven movie blogger Dan Heaton, and later in the show, uh, hopefully we'll have Madison Art Cinema's owner Arnold Gorlick to talk through our top 10 movies of 2017. Throughout the episode, we'll also be sharing voicemails from you, deep-focused guests, friends, and listeners with your picks for the best movies of the year. Thanks to everyone who called in to share their thoughts on 2017 at the movies. And thank you, listeners, for supporting local film culture and local film criticism here in New Haven, Connecticut. But without further ado, I'm very happy to welcome back to the show Dan Heaton. Dan is a prolific local movie blogger whose reviews can be found at cheeseblab.blogspot.com. He told me before the show started that he has lagged behind a little bit on the reviews he's written, and yet you will find still probably just under 100 reviews of movies seen this year, thereabouts. Dan, let's kick off, uh, as we wait for Arnold to show, let's kick off with a few listener uh, voicemails. These are voicemails that you all sent in about your favorite movies of 2017. We'll be playing these throughout the episode. Hi, Tom. This is uh, your your movie buddy, Alan Appel, calling to say that I think Lady Bird, the Greta Gerwig, is my favorite movie of the year. Although, I must say, a close second was uh, the uh, the Dunkirk, the, um, the Christopher Nolan film. And coming in third, also the, the, uh, uh, on the theme of Dunkirk, I think is their finest uh, about the scriptwriter, uh, the woman who kind of earned her place against uh, a lot of male opposition in um, telling the story of uh, a make-believe crew of, uh, of women um, uh, helping rescue soldiers. But anyway, those are my choices. Happy New Year. Always fun sitting on the curmudgeon's chair on Deep Focus. Hi, this is Mike Field from the Nutmeg Institute, and uh, my favorite movie of 2017 was Wind River. Hey, Tom and the Deep Focus gang. This is Patrick Whalen with the Nutmeg Institute and also the New Haven 48-Hour Film Project. We're just calling in with my favorite film of 2017, um, and that definitely has to be Blade Runner 2049. I absolutely love that movie. Uh, it's stunning to look at. The effects, both special and the practical ones, are great, especially the, uh, the scene in the rain early on and that, uh, I guess, threesome, you could say. Um, with the three characters. Uh, and you know, it's actually one of the few reboots in recent times that's been, been superior to the original. Um, so that's what I got. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone, and here's to another great year of movie making and movies. Hey, Tom, it's Trish Clark from the 48 Hour Film Project New Haven and from Nutmeg Institute calling about my favorite movies of 2017. And there are two movies that stuck out to me. One, was Wonder Woman because, well, I mean, I'm a woman, so I have to support this movie. It was freaking fantastic that it was a strong, powerful female lead with Gal Gadot and directed by Patty Jenkins. I mean, come on, like it was full force woman all the way. And uh, as a female in the industry, I 100% support that and want to see more of it. Uh, my favorite movie of the year, though, by far was Get Out. I was amazed by Jordan Peele, what he wrote and directed. And literally, as 
soon as the film ended, you know, after my jaw came back up, I just turned to my friend who I was with, and I said, wow, he just threw down the gauntlet and said, I am not just a comedian. He came to town, and I think we are going to be seeing a lot more from him in the future, and we will keep being surprised and entertained. So those were three voicemail contributions for Best Movies of 2017. Uh, Mike Field picking Wind River, uh, Patrick Whalen picking Blade Runner 2049, and Trish Clark picking Get Out and Wonder Woman. And just to give a shout out to those three, they are the founders of something called uh, the Nutmeg Institute, which is a new venture run by the folks who produced the 48-hour film project New Haven uh, to kind of rejuvenate uh, film culture here in New Haven. They'll be holding workshops on screenwriting, on film editing, on producing, on lighting over the course of the year, as well as hosting a Sunday brunch screening series at Brother Jimmy's Barbecue uh, down on Crown Street. So check out Nutmeg Institute on Facebook to learn more about the many exciting things that those folks are doing. And thank you, Trish, Mike, and Patrick for leaving their voicemails. So you're listening to Deep Focus on WNHHLP, New Haven's home for community radio. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and I'm talking with Arnold Gorlick and Dan Heaton about the year in movies in 2017. Uh, Dan, I'm going to start with you and then go over to Arnold and then myself. And so as to keep things as as tidy as possible, let's kind of go pretty quickly through 10, 9, and 8, and then share a bit more on your 7, so that we'll, we'll really go deep on, okay. on 7 through I, 1. And also, if you can, at the top, if there is one unifying theme that connects every single movie. I never thought of t- that. But tell me that. Was, was there anything that uh, jumped out at you as you thought about your well, there's, top 10 list? There's absolutely a unifying theme for me. For years, I've been telling everyone who'll listen, well, everyone, uh, that we're in a golden age of horror and monster and occult films. So this year I'm putting my critical faculties where my mouth is. Thoroughly arbitrary ground rules. Ghosts, swamp beasts, and stuff we don't know what the heck it is, yes. Superheroes, rocket ships, and genetic shrinking formulas, no. As I say, arbitrary. One might easily argue that most of our best films today are set in worlds radically different from the already scary one we inhabit, And one might speculate about all sorts of psychological, sociological, and political reasons for that. But I won't, at least not today. Uh, Quickly, my 10, 9, and 8. Number 10, uh, it is a truth universally acknowledged that clowns are creepy. But it, Andy Muschietti's adaptation of Stephen King's novel, takes us way beyond clown creepy through an array of adolescent and adult creepiness. I was thoroughly unprepared for how deeply this would well Creep me out. Uh, number nine is Personal Shopper, written and directed by Olivier Assayer. A stunningly stylish film, the the haute couture ghost story of the of the year, if you will. And my number eight is Colossal, directed by Nacho Vigalonda. Um, a wildly weird mashup of juvenile sci-fi terror in the space-time continuum nonsense with thoroughly adult themes of manipulation, obsession, and substance abuse. Um, you know what? Let's. Uh, I'm going to have Arnold do his ten nine eight, and then I'll do my ten nine eight briefly, and then we'll do the the longer dive into seven after that. But I have to stop you with it for a second. Tell me, tell me more about why it made your your top ten list because this is a phenomenally successful <laughs> horror movie, uh, an adaptation of an iconic Stephen King horror novel from the 1980s, and certainly jam packed with some terrifying images, especially the opening one for me of of the clown hanging out in the sewer, uh, just you know beneath eye level or above, just hanging out uh, in that great luring a child down in but you didn't find the typical bloat of kind of mainstream popcorn movies of two and a half hours of cgi 
over <laughs> overbearing. I, I, I really, I really nonsense. rather expected to. Um, I'm unfamiliar with the novel. I, I think there was a TV uh, TV production starring Tim Curry production of it in the early nineties. Uh, really, um, as the clown. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, now I've got to readjust. Uh, I, I just found all the scares so incredibly effective. I found uh, I found the young girl's uh, story really compelling. The the um, the sexual abuse. Um, and I, well, I found each of the stories compelling. I found it. I, I found you know, and it is a true ensemble movie. Yeah, you yeah, know, those yeah. each kid has his own you know distinct terrors and distinct personalities. Right. I think some storylines are treated a bit with a bit more I, depth than the others. But I, the I, the little gr- the girl with the nightmare <clears throat> hair sequence clogging the the bathroom right, right, drains, right. Oh, I think God. is a, one of the most unforgettable um, images in horror I, of the year. I but, also I, I said I wasn't going to be political, but I but I found it you know disconcerting that the uh, terrifying clown had this horrible orange hair that would never actually exist <laughs> on a human's head. And the catch line, you'll float too, sounds to me very much like reassurance to poor and middle-class people who have had tax deductions and medical care taken away from them. The uh, a, An economic promise from the clown hanging out in the sewers. Uh, so, Arnold, uh, take me quickly through your 1098. And uh, as you think about it for 10 seconds right now, anything, any themes that came up across the movies that you're big? There doesn't have to be. But as you think about your favorite movies of the year, were these big movies, small movies, movies made by uh, any particular type of filmmaker or just whatever whatever uh, stuck with you the most? No, uh, I... And get nice I, up and close on that mic. Yeah, well. I think that some uh, i don't know that there's a unifying theme except that it there seems to be a questioning of uh our connections to each other and addressing it some suggesting what they ought to be some suggesting then they're less than they might be some of them are trivial i have i believe three foreign films on here which is uh, unique because it's getting harder and harder to find foreign film but why don't i just because i i don't want us to run over and oh, give please. you my... And t- also make sure that you're nice up and speaking into the okay. mic, just like that. Perfect. The first movie, I fear that no one may see in the United States. It has not yet found a distributor. On December 15th, it opened in Quebec and Montreal by two extraordinary directors with success, with a success or track record of success in the United States, Olivier Nakache and Eric Toledano. They are the directors who gave us Entouchables, The Untouchables you remember about the wheelchair-bound man and his uh, employee. Well, they made another movie, which has almost no extraordinary, no, no message, no content in it, except there's something about French comedy that I love. The funniest movie I've ever seen is called Money, Money, Money by Claude Lelouch. In French, it was called L'Aventure, C'est L'Aventure, and this one is called C'est La Vie in the United States. And uh, uh, Outside of France, and France is called Le Sons de la Fête, which means something like we celebrate. And I saw, I think this is the first movie I saw when in Toronto when we went up there together. And all I could say is that for two hours, I had the silliest smile plastered on my face of delight while I was watching it with five or six hilarious outbursts of knee slapping stuff. It's just about a guy who owns a catering company, and he caters not necessarily in his own catering hall, but he goes to whatever site that you want. And this elegant marriage is being catered, and everything that could possibly go wrong, how he arranges his personal life, 
the relationships of everybody else. The characters in the movie are so endearing. You care about each one of them. The resolutions, the observations of the immigrant workers there are hilarious as they're looking at this mayhem going on. It's not slapstick, but and it's well shot. It was touching. It was funny. There's no message in it. That's all I could say. Darkest Hour. Darkest Hour uh, for making history come so alive. Uh, I understand that some people think there's hokum in it, particularly a scene, and there's a spoiler here, when supposedly Winston Churchill goes down the underground to, uh, to learn what the common man and common women are thinking. I'm sure that didn't happen, but it didn't bother me because they just wanted to find a way for him to connect to what the everyday uh, person was thinking. And Gary Oldman's performance was not only the best performance by a male actor this year, but it is so extraordinary that it carries the film. Uh, it was unbelievable. Uh, number eight is Mudbound for its courage. Uh, directed by D. Reese, stars Kerry Mulligan, Jason Clark, Mary Jo Blige, if I have a name right, uh, Jonathan Banks. Set in rural Alabama at the end Mississippi. Of- I'm sorry, Mississippi in, uh, yeah, I had Doug Jones on my mind. Right, 1940s Mississippi, Uh, immediately before World War II. It's a tragic tale, Mm -hmm. how people are bound up in tragic relationships that are beyond their own control. But what I really liked about her was her uncompromising focus on integrity and uh, and looking in a really extraordinarily artistic and affecting way of how destructive these relationships are, making us feel, feel it viscerally. And not turning the camera away, and not going for a wider audience by showing something unpleasant. You know, you... Mudbound is is the rare uh, kind of movie that is very indebted to its literary source that I think uses voiceover narration beautifully. In fact, there are probably six or seven different narrators that we hear over right. the course of the movie uh, that correspond to the different characters. Uh, one from a, a white family, one from a black family uh, in the same area of southern Mississippi. Uh, and I think that voiceover narration can sometimes do, you know, way too much telling and not showing, right? It's kind of redundant in in, reiterate, in talking about what we're seeing on screen, but something about letting us dive into the individual perspectives of each character through their words, uh, through their perception of the shared reality that we're seeing, I thought was was really beautifully done. I don't know if you've seen Mudbound. It's, it's one that I've not had a chance to see it. And, and it's I, a disservice to have to see it. <clears throat> On Netflix, Netflix. which is largely what you have to do. But one other nice comment about it, and this didn't affect my, this didn't make me think better of the movie. It just so happens the movie is directed by an African-American and an African-American woman. Yep. Someone to look out for who did Pariah, Bessie. Um, She's certainly one of the uh, most exciting young filmmakers today. There's a a lot coming, I'm sure. So I'm going to breeze quickly through uh, my 10 through uh, 8. Unfortunately, I've got a bunch of uh, voicemail contributions to do the work for me. So let's hear a little bit of some of your picks, uh, your listeners and former guests and friends of the show, about what the best movie of 2017 was. Hey, Tom. This is Josh Larson, author of Movies Are Prayers. Thanks so much for having me on the show this year and for inviting me to be part of your Best Movies of 2017 edition. Uh, My favorite film from the year was Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Um, In some ways, it's more traditional than a lot of the other picks on my top 10 list, but in other ways, especially uh, the methods Nolan uses to manipulate uh, space and time and sound and image, it's really revolutionary. And I think it takes an interesting approach to the war film as well. This isn't a movie that marks a triumphal military victory. It's not necessarily a pacifist statement either. 
Um, it's just something simpler, um, rooted in the experience of enduring what something like the escape from Dunkirk might have been like. Uh, it's overwhelming uh, in good ways, not in the ways that a lot of big popular cinema often tries to be, but um, with a certain rigor and intelligence that we don't always get in our blockbusters. So I think Dunkirk will be one that um, we'll look back on as uh, among the best in Nolan's career, which is saying something. Thanks again. We'll talk to you, I hope, in 2018. Brad Breen from Irvington, New York. My favorite movie of 2017 was Dunkirk. I'm interested in, in it from a historical point of view, but I thought the movie was wonderful in terms of not having one big star, but just all the, the human interaction and uh, the actual drama of the survival and heroism of of the day and, and the switching of time frames made it... Um, an interesting and exciting movie as well as uh, visually very compelling. Hey, Tom and Deep Focus. This is Lucy Gelman, host of WNHH's Kitchen Sink and editor at the Arts Paper. Um, I would say my favorite film from this year, or from 2017, was Columbus. It's a breakout film by Coco Nada, and um, it's it's just this, like, wonderful meditation on modernist architecture in which the beauty of cinema and of language completely mirror the economy of the architecture that the movie is and is not about. It's also a movie about mothers and daughters, which I loved. I would say a close second is Lady Bird, which is also a movie about mothers and daughters and just a gem from Greta Gerwig. So Columbus and Lady Bird, those are my top picks for 2017. Okay. Have fun. Bye. So I would say if there was any theme, you know, uh, to my list, it, it was uh, victory in defeat. Uh, I think that movies that found characters going through uh, incredibly uh, traumatic situations, something perhaps that a lot of listeners will recognize from having gone through uh, the presidential election of uh, not too long ago, uh, I think finding in that kind of bottommost despair some kind of drive to continue, some t- kind of kind of unfamiliar, almost unrecognizable, but surly triumphant way to to overcome <laughs> these seemingly insurmountable. I would say most of my movies are very small, very intimate, very personal, a lot about mothers and daughters. Of course, the big exception is my number 10, which is Dunkirk, which is Christopher Nolan's kind of unforgettable for me, a movie about the evacuation of hundreds of thousands of British troops uh, from the French shores in early 1940. Uh, this is an unconventional war movie, as Josh Larson said, about evacuation, about uh, assured defeat as opposed to a potential victory. And yet the images that Nolan conjured up of the endless expanse of the beach of Dunkirk, of the pamphlets falling from the sky saying you're surrounded, of being trapped in the beach ship as they're, as these soldiers are trying to plug with their fingers bullet holes before the high tide comes in and takes the boat away. And of course, of the water on fire with the, the oil kind of being lit with the, the crash of one of the boats uh, and the subsequent uh, fire upon it. The, some, some of the images that, even though I don't think it's a perfect movie, even though I think that it's playing around with uh, time and space and three different narratives that are asynchronous and somewhat anonymous, is not the most successful. I think that the images that it created are some of the most unforgettable of the year for me. Uh, my number nine is, is Columbus, is Coconata's, uh, first movie about a, 
a small Indiana town that is just jam-packed, surprisingly enough, with high modernist architecture and a young woman's uh, coming to terms with uh, her kind of post-adolescence, with her mother's addictions, uh, with how this art affects her life and how she uh, you know, affects it in turn. It's a beautifully composed movie. Uh, this is a man who's done a lot of studying of Yasuhiro Ozu and Robert Bassan, uh, but also it's one that just made me think about how I think about art how uh, art changes me, how it uh, kind of impacts the way that I, I see the world. And then uh, my number eight is a movie called Raw. Uh, this is Julia Ducarneau, a French filmmaker, her first film. Uh, if, if The Lobster won my kind of best, most ingenious, most sadistic premise uh, of any movie last year, then I think Raw takes the cake this year. It is a movie about a freshman at a prestigious veterinarian school in France. Uh, she is a young, overachieving uh, girl whose sister is a few years ahead of her, uh, who is a vegetarian. She's subjected to some pretty brutal hazing. And after, during one hazing bout, she is forced to eat some raw meat. She develops an insatiable appetite, not just for hamburgers and hot dogs, but in fact, yes, for human flesh. So a vegetarian at veterinarian school turned full-on cannibal. And the way that this movie explores, you know, it's it's a funny movie. Uh, it is a pretty grotesque movie, but it's a movie about appetite, about the appetite of youth about kind of insatiable appetite for sex, for physical contact, for meat, for what you, your body is changing and not understanding what's happening in it. It's a remarkable and really entertaining and really fun and funny movie that I think a lot of people may have missed when it came out earlier this year. So that's Raw by Julia Ducarneau. Um, because we are, uh, you know, rapidly flying through the show, Dan, I'm going to ask you to go through uh, your seven, six, and five relatively quickly as well. You can spend a little bit longer than 10, nine, and eight, but um, just for the sake of getting everything in, let's uh, go to Dan Heaton for his uh, seven, six, and five best movies of 2017. Thank you. And incidentally, Columbus is on my uh, non-generic top 10 for the year. Love the film. Uh, my number seven on my generic list, speaking of The Lobster, is a film directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Interesting which, uh, like Colossal, is about vengeance meted out via invisible wires of connection. The difference here is that the one wielding the malevolent power is aware of it from the start and embraces it with perverse gusto. Um, I, I, a few weeks earlier, or a few weeks before this, I watched uh, Suburbicon, and there George Clooney gave us a study of people so despicable that to watch them makes us literally queasy. Uh, I found that Lanthimos did the same thing much better. My number six film with uh, lowercase initial and uh, exclamation point is Mother, written and directed by Darren Aronofsky. Um, <clears throat> okay, you're going to put this film together. You start with an open marriage between Rosemary's Baby and Night of the Living Dead. You encourage liberal liaisons with The Shining, Alien, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Saving Private Ryan, The Life of Brian, Do the Right Thing, Carrie, The Manson Murders, and The Riots Outside the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago, all filtered through the sensibilities of David Lynch and Alejandro Jodorowsky. And against all odds, you end up with something so bizarrely original that it took my breath as well as the majority of any cortical function away. I, I am, remain pretty sure that I liked it, and I'm dead certain that I admire Aronofsky's chutzpah and Jennifer Lawrence's fearlessness. 
And give give us one more. That is an excellent pick. I, I, Mother will certainly uh, come up later in my list. And uh, I, I think that, you know, Mother is the rare movie that I think everyone I knew who saw it left thinking that was the most obvious metaphor about, and then they said something different. And it is a remarkable thing to be to be blunt and obvious you know, and provocative, you know, and to and, be blunt and obvious and provocative on, uh, you know, fifteen different themes uh, that uh, each person going in will see I, something completely different yeah, in the I'm, filmmaking audacity of. I have Mother. a colleague who <laughs> saw it and said that. He thought it was one of the greatest things he's ever seen, but he won't be able to look at it for 10 years without psychotherapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I left the theater not thinking any of those things and then read things afterwards and was surprised. And said, well, yeah, that is kind of obvious, isn't it? Why didn't I notice that? Uh, my, my number five film is, uh, is an anime. It's uh, called, the, in, in English, Your Name, and this also has end punctuation, Your Name, period, uh, written and directed by Makoto Shinkai. Um, stop me when I get to your limit of cliches. This is a story about soulmates, about soul sharing, about forceful deja vu, about omens and about sensitivity to omens, about time shifting, especially time shifting to undo a past disaster. Sounds as if the anime itself is bound to be a disaster, right? Yet this film skates around all the potholes to be one of the smartest, most original, most moving and most visually beautiful films to employ all those well-worn tropes. It was, for me, a quiet, meteor- meteoric stunner. It's a great pick. I really enjoyed it. You know, the highest-grossing anime movie ever, oddly enough. Uh, did not have too big of a hit, uh, impact here in the United States, but in East Asia, Your Name was the most successful animated movie uh, of all time. Successful meaning box office, of course. Hey, this is Mark Oppenheimer. I'm going to name two great movies of this year, both with terrible titles. The first is Brad's Status, starring Ben Stiller, which came and went, and has the unlikely premise of a father taking his son on a college trip. Uh, It's weird and quirky and slow and totally absorbing and unforgettable. The other one, I think it was called The Florida Project, right? A title so banal, I've almost forgotten it, but... If you thought that a bleak movie about transient motels and the sad people who inhabit them in Orlando, Florida, uh, wouldn't be really interesting, uh, you have another thought coming, another movie that I just couldn't forget. Hi, this is Steve Fortes. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut, and I've worked as a teacher of film and um, local film critic. And... Uh, my top choice for film uh, for 2017 is um, Greta Gerwig's uh, Lady Bird, with honorable mentions to three billboards outside of uh, Ebbing, Missouri, Get Out, The Big Sick, Dunkirk, and a little Sam Elliott movie called The Hero. Arnold, uh, take, tell me uh, three more three more picks on your top ten list of 2017. I'll say the titles first, then I'll speak on them. The Square by Ruben Ostlund. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, and Lady Bird. Um, the Square. It's one of those slow movies that I loved for being slow. I wasn't tired of its pace, but I became so drawn into the movie that I forgot I was watching a movie. It was also a discomforting movie, and he's also made one of my favorite movies that nobody seems to share my values for, Force Majeure. I just adored. I don't know what else to say. And, uh, oh, I think but, you have some fans of that movie uh, but in, I can't, in this room I, as well. Then, uh, then I'm glad that the three of us are here, because I haven't been out fi- able to find anybody who had the impact, fa- 
that it had on me. Uh, it's a question that deals with our interaction with society. What does altruism means? What does art means? Um, when art gets very esoteric, is it still art? And so on. But the performance by Class Bang, but Elizabeth Moss is the greatest performance in the funniest post coedial scene I've ever seen in movies. Whose condom is it anyway? <laughs> right. It was just it was just well done and discomforting. Um the square it also happened to win the Palme d'Or at Cannes Film Festival, which is a guarantee that it'll never succeed in the United States. <laughs> Three billboards outside Irving, Missouri, um a suffering mom. Of course, it hinges on her relationship with a um, primitive policeman in town who's racist, anti-gay, and everything that you can imagine, and unsympathetic uh, because she erects three billboards that are critical of the chief of police for not having found after six or seven months the culprit who raped and murdered her daughter and brought attention to through those three billboards, causes disruption in the town, I don't want to give a spoiler on this, but I did like the conclusion. It made sense to me how they were then later on, how the relationship involved and why. It's it's tough to talk about this movie without spoilers, right. because uh, I think that where the, at least where the movie really struggled for me is the character that uh, Three Bill Wards chooses to redeem uh, over this, the second half of the movie. And I didn't quite think that that character had earned the treatment that the movie gives it. It's a very provocative movie. It is one that I is get Frances McDormand is getting a lot of attention for her performance, and rightly so. Uh, and I love Sam Rockwell's performance as well. But I think that you know I've been thinking a lot about tone management. How movies that are trying to you know Yorgos Lanthimos is a perfect example. These movies that or The Square <laughs> movies that straddle intensely uncomfortable comedy with horror, with action, with melodrama. I feel like something about Three Billboards not to. <laughs> to say that it's not a great pick, but uh, something about McDonough's not quite being able to juggle the comedy and the tragedy of it well enough for me leaves, it's why it's just on the outside of my top 10. I can say this, that I was in the big theater at uh, Toronto International Film Festival. In the middle of it, it's not because I came out of it, but I was so absorbed by a moment. I leaned forward to look left and right down a very big auditorium and full auditorium, and everybody was leaning forward breathlessly leaning into the screen uh, at some point in the middle um ladybird gee my opinion for greta gorick has just soared i mean i always like to watch right? her quirky movies francis ha and things like that i never took her too seriously i thought she was locked into being a certain kind of person with a certain limit of intelligence but she's intelligent she knocked me out and what i love about this movie is this is a screenplay where you can't sense that while you're watching it that this was written. This is how real people talk to each other. This is how mothers and daughters talk to each other. I cared about every character. Uh, what what can I say? I cared about the outcome. It was brilliant. It was articulate. I almost feel proud of her. <laughs> I don't mean that in a condescending way. No, it's it's a great pick, one that I'm sure will come up a little later on. Um, I'm going to breeze through my, my seven, six, and five, and we'll also include another voicemail. Uh, my number seven is Luca Guadagnino's Call Me By Your Name. Uh, it is a movie set in northern Italy in the early 1980s 
uh, follows a 17-year-old boy played remarkably by the breakout actor of the year, most likely, Timothy Chalamet. Who is uh, in, Lady in, Bird. in Lady Bird. Of so course, has one of the most unforgettable performances in Lady Bird as well. But he is this, you know, this embodiment of precociousness, someone who uh, can play, you know, Bach on the piano in 17 different ways, uh, someone who can speak French and English and Italian fluently. Uh, and all of a sudden, his, his life is disrupted when a the most unconvincingly Jewish grad student <laughs> army, army hammer uh, you know visits to study I, I understand with... the academy's <laughs> making that a, a category this year. I wonder why Stud- they didn't make him take off that sign on his head that said Shagitz <laughs> <laughs> He's so I mean I do love the way that this movie handles the you know at one point Timothy Chalamet says that his mom this is early 1980s Italy this is a, a place you know and a part of the old country where there are still pictures of Il Duce reverentially held you know uh, uh, um, posted in, in cafe doors and here we have uh, a family of what he calls Jews of discretion and it's not just his religion that he's discreet about uh, it's his sexuality as well and I think that talk about if Raw is a movie about appetite here's a movie about a young boy discovering his sexuality his you know his relationships with both women and men with an older man um the way that this movie just luxuriates in the the sensory nature of life is a, a truly kind of remarkable and sensual thing to behold so i, I was really struck and i'm a sucker for movies that have uh you know dance sequences to pop music and maybe all the all the music all the dialogue falls away 20th century women has a great scene like this as well but the psychedelic furs uh love your way is just tremendously used in this movie uh and i think to heartbreaking effect um my number six is mother we already spoke about mother so i won't go in too much on this but if if anyone has any questions about jennifer lawrence's caliber as an actor uh or an actress this movie will dispel them this movie does not let her out of the frame at all. It follows, you know, this anonymous, abstract, metaphorical mother as she presides over this house under renovation as, you know, her life just kind of collapses around her and her devotion to this man. Uh, it is a remarkable performance and one that I think uh, is, is going to be a provocative one, but hopefully one that is remembered. Hi, this is Peter Capuchione calling in from uh, Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my favorite movie of 2017 was Guillermo del Toro's The Shape of Water. Um, aside from being a uh, visually beautiful film, I think the film was a proper and necessary tribute to classic monster movies. Um, and oddly enough for, for that category, for me it at least came off as the feel-good movie of the year. Um, incredibly enough, um, the true monster in the film wasn't the creature in the tank, but rather the government alpha male in the uh, Cadillac. And uh, I thought that sort of deflection was a was a really nice, uh, you know, film storytelling device. But um thought it was really special, but uh, definitely not as special as the love story that uh, unfolds in the movie and sort of makes you remember that uh, we all have imperfections, but with the right counterpart, um, the the right uh, person to fall in love with, sometimes you can look past uh you know your your own flaws and uh i thought that was a, a nice touch and uh, that's that's part of why uh the shape of water was was the best movie of the year for me for 2017 thank you hi this is brian slattery calling from hamden connecticut um and i didn't see a lot of movies this year but even if i had i think my favorite would be the shape of water directed by guillermo del toro in that movie, a mute woman and a sea monster fall in love, and nothing, not even the Cold War, can keep them apart. It's visually gorgeous. As a piece of storytelling, it leaves nothing wasted. 
Sally Hawkins, who carries the movie, is ridiculously good. And there's something amazing about the fact that the romantic couple at the center of the movie don't even talk. They communicate with each other way more effectively than anyone else in the movie does. And the ending is pretty much perfect. It's the ideal date movie for people who secretly know that their own romantic relationship is super weird, which I suspect (laughs) is just about everyone. I think Brian Slattery, the editor of the arts editor of The Independent, sums it up pretty well there when he says a perfect date movie for everyone who thinks their relationship is a little bit weird. I think Shape of Water is going to come up later on, so I won't say much now. Um, as we always do, we're kind of rapidly approaching the end of the show. So, Dan, I'm going to ask you to, how about you uh, kind of breeze through uh, four, three, and two, and then spend you know at least a, a minute on on number one. That's uh, that's easily done. Uh, given the most of those three time to uh, a ghost story, which is my number four, written directed by David Lowry, uh, from the anodyne title to the 1950s Halloween costume, Truth and Packaging Reigns. This weird, beautiful, quiet, smart, unique, non-scary, but nonetheless creepy film really is the story of a ghost, of the sadness of a ghost who, as Marley tells Scrooge when showing him despairing spirits, wishes still to be a force for good on Earth but has lost the power forever. The closest analog to this film I can think of, and it's not really that close, is Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life, except that this one is a million times less pretentious and more engaging. In the hypothetical category of best acting with your face hidden, Andy Serkis and Doug Jones face stiff competition from Casey Affleck. That's stiff competition. (laughs) Uh, My number three, I'm scarcely going to say anything about. uh, Get Out, uh, written and directed brilliantly by Jordan Peele. So much has been written about his stunning directorial debut, and we're going to hear more from both of you, I'm sure, my only note is to second-guess myself for having it as low as three. And my two, which we just heard about, I will say a little bit about this. Arnold, I, you were at the York Square in 1994, were you not? I sure was. I okay. sure was. Okay. So in 1994, you booked Kronos. Correct. And that is how I first encountered Guillermo del Toro, the director of The Most Beautiful Romance of 2017, a poetic two-hour unpacking of the Cold War era racial, political, and sexual repression of Creature of the Black Lagoon. Uh, This joins Kronos, The Devil's Backbone, and Pan's Labyrinth in a body of work by a Mexican we would have been very unwise to have walled out. It's a a great pick. And you know what, just for the sake of time, give give me your number one now as well. My number one horror film of the year had the misfortune to be released While Get Out was still in theaters and still sucking up a lot of the same oxygen this film needed to breathe, it may also have been hampered by its banal title, It Comes at Night. Writer-director Trey Edward Schultz minds the tropes of an out-of-control virus, thus by extension AIDS, uh, of isolation and lost trust, of race and sexual tension, of lawlessness, lawlessness in defense of family. He sets his story in the dark, scary woods where Nathaniel Hawthorne would have felt shiveringly at home. Attacking so many vulnerabilities at once, the film unsettled me in a thoroughly unrig- original yet eerily familiar way. Uh, Tom, it was uh, last year you had uh, Schultz's Krisha as number nine on your list, and as I recall, you called it an unconventional horror film. Horror film convention is everywhere here, but the film itself is no less unconventional for that. 
I'm eager to see how Schultz will horrify us next. Yeah, the the trope of the red door at the end of the hallway is one that I think is very familiar to a lot of horror movies, but Schultz mines that image for all of its spooky and spiritual worth. And it comes, it's it's a great pick. I I really enjoyed that. Um, Unexpected, I would not have guessed that that was going to be number one. Hey, this is Babs Rolls Ivy from Love, Babs, Love Talk and Criminal Justice Insider. So my movies of the year is Girl Trip, Girl Trip. (laughs) You know why? Because there was black women in this movie, black people looking fabulous, being fun and fabulous and funny. That's my pick. Marshall is my second pick because one, it's a it's a story about Thurgood Marshall. It's a Connecticut story, and I don't think people sort of get that Connecticut has a long racist history. <laughs> so those are my picks. Girls Trip, which is I love, 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 loved it. It was so funny. I laughed. From the beginning to the end, and Marshall, because it was just it's just a true story, and it was well done, and it was fabulous, and uh, and it just made me fall back in love with uh, Thurgood Marshall. So that's it. Happy New Year. Hello, Tom. This is my querida Tortora from the Latino and Iberian Film Festival at Yale, Liffey. My recommendation, a wonderful film from 2017, is the film Nadie Nos Mira, Nobody's Watching by Julia Solomonov. It's filmed in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and in New York City. I think it's a wonderful, sensitive portrayal of a young gay Argentine actor who finds himself unemployed and living in New York City as an undocumented uh, undocumented immigrant. Um, he uh, explores the underbelly of the city and the difficulty of living in a land that's not his, but it also shows how racial profiling comes into play because since he's white and blonde and tall, people don't take him for an undocumented immigrant. And um, therefore, he could get away with many things that others who look more Latin American can't. And um, that is explored in the film, which I think is a very important question, as as well as homophobia. And the idea of one coming to terms with oneself is an important factor. So if you're interested, this is a great film called Nadia Nos Mira by Julia Solomonov, and um, Guillermo Fenning, the main actor, won Best Actor of a Foreign Film in the Tribeca Film Festival. Bye. Uh, This is Chris from Astoria, New York. Uh, My favorite movie this year was The Phantom Thread. I thought it was classic Paul Thomas Anderson, hilarious, yeah, extremely dark. Uh, and also Daniel Day-Lewis is pretty amazing. Um, Arnold, for the sake of time, I'm going to ask you to do the same as you did before. Read the titles of maybe four, three, and two for me. And, uh, you know, if they've already been spoken about, maybe share just a little bit. And then spend a minute on your number one, too. Four. So, mm-hmm. so give me your, yeah, four, three, two, and then spend a minute on number one. Phantom Thread, Daniel Day-Lewis's final movie. I, Tanya, Margot Robbie. I know I speak about Margot Robbie alone as a mold-breaking performance, but it's also Alice and Janney. I mean, the two greatest performances that one could imagine. Uh, number two, a movie that few people will get to see and haven't seen, which is one of my favorite movies I'm thinking of all time. In French, it's called Visage Village, Faces, Places, directed by Agnès Varda, 
and also it's a documentary uh, with the great photographer, French photographer, only known as J.R. Uh, a touching movie. Do I say anything about those three? Do you want me to go right to number I'd one? Go go to number one, and number we can one. circle back if there's time at the end. Uh, number one is obviously The Shape of Water for me. Um, Guillermo del Toro knocks me out. Even when he fails, he knocks me out. And I, ju- I also like his uncompromising nature. He doesn't seek a wider audience for the sake of ruining his vision and the chance he wants to take on a film. My wife always tells me uh, in, loving, in a loving, critical way um, that Arnold has no boundaries. And what I really love about this uh, movie is, the be- is showing us, giving us the ability to see the divine and the beautiful in the other. And the other... This type of movie in the 60s would have been completely different. The square-jawed white man would have vanquished the evil other monster and so on, and he, nobody, nobody else would have uh, really mattered. But in this one, the other took many forms. The amphibian man, the center of the, is driven by the story by two invisible woman janitors. One is African-American. One is mute. And, uh, of course, it's the amphibian man. But the ability to... See the divine and the beautiful in the other was very touching to me. And I'm surprised it's still playing at the Madison Art Cinemas. How many times I go back in it to let the images wash over me? It's, it is a, a phenomenal movie. It's one that uh, I have seen a, a number of times. Hi, Tom. It's Mercy Quay. I'm currently working on a couple cool projects, all in communications. More on that to come. But I'm just so happy that you uh, set up this opportunity for us to call in and talk about our favorite movies of the year. Uh, I came on the show when Get Out came out to talk about that amazing psychological thriller um, and its commentary on uh, the, you know, its social commentary and, um, you know, what it had to say about race in America today and what it means to be a black person in America or how it feels. I think, uh, you know, Jordan Peele has this amazing way of just telling the story from a perspective that I think a lot of movies just aren't told in. I think there's a little bit of this lens that black people have when we're watching movies that feels like we're in, you know, the upside down or uh, I forget what he calls it in his movie, but it feels like we are, you know, lensed over watching movies that are about us but not really for us. And I think Jordan Peele did an excellent job in depicting the black experience in 2017. Um, next runner up, and I won't take very much longer, next runner up for me was The Mountain in Between Us. It was so beautifully corny. <laughs> and I just loved the uh, on-air chemistry between Kate Winslet and Idris Elba. It just, it worked. And I think, you know, a lot of us remember Kate Winslet's uh, sort of uh, career breakthrough role as Rose from Titanic, and this movie was sort of reminiscent of that for her, kind of uh, an individual woman um, breaking through the, you know, trauma of, uh, you know, a traumatic event, um, a catastrophic event. Uh, In Titanic, it was the sinking of a boat, and in the mountain between us, it was the the crashing of a plane, and I really did just love the on-air chemistry. Um, and that is it. Thank you for taking my call. I look forward to the show. Bye. 
the I'm gonna breeze through uh, my numbers four through uh, four through one ever so quickly, uh, and that is uh, because as always we're running a little bit out of time. Um, so my my number uh, four movie of the year is is Get Out. Um, it's one that uh, I think gave us the most unforgettable uh, metaphor of the year. One that I think is used uh, over and over and over again, and that's of the sunken place, the place where uh, um, Daniel Kaluuya's uh, main character. Um, is uh, is um, kind of forced to go under hypnosis by the the woman who uh, is is holding him captive. It is a perfect encapsulation of what it feels like uh, to be living in in this moment of uh, yeah of of intense uh, and almost uh, inescapable racism. And yet, Get Out manages to find a way to escape from that. I think it's a perfect perfect ending for the movie. Um, number three is The Florida Project, a movie that has not come up yet, which is Sean Baker's follow-up to Tangerine, a movie about kind of incandescent outsiders living on uh, the outskirts of society and a motel living, uh, a motel just on the outskirts of Orlando, Florida. Number two I just is, want a, to say a, masterpiece. is oh. a ghost story, um, a ghost story that, that Dan has already brought up uh, by David Lowry. Hello, Deep Focus listeners. This is Brendan Toller, filmmaker, rock and roller, DJ, and all-around good guy of New Haven, I suppose. My favorite movie of 2017 was Lady Bird, without a doubt, directed by a woman director about time, Greta Gerwig, saw pretty wide release. Go see it. Amazing story of, uh, you know, everybody saying coming of age, but... uh it's a beautiful story of a uh, middle-class girl growing up in her teen years that reminded me a lot of my youth. And the follow-up would have to be uh, Sean Baker's Florida Project, filmed like a documentary, but it is a narrative film. Totally beautiful, totally heartbreaking, and probably many people's reality in the United States these days. Uh, love you. Have a great 2018, and here's to more fabulous movies. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Carol Evans. I'm a documentary filmmaker living in North Haven, Connecticut. I really enjoyed the film Lady Bird, written and directed by Greta Gerwig. I think the performances by Saoirse Ronan and Laurie Metcalf are really award-worthy. And, you know, actually for me, it was really refreshing to see a film with women as essential characters with really complex personalities and relationships. I really like that about the film. I worked in Hollywood for five years in the late 1980s, and really ever since then, I thought we needed to hear more women's voices, both in feature films and in film criticism. I think perhaps if audiences see women less as, you know, sexual objects and more as individuals deserving respect and fair treatment, then maybe some of the current attitudes which have led to the harassment of women might improve. Thank you. Happy New Year. And then the last is is Lady Bird. Um, my number, I, it's it's uh, easy to say banal things about Lady Bird because I think that it's uh, such a familiar story in a lot of ways. Uh, it is a movie that um, you know is just about a teen coming of age in Sacramento uh, in the early two thousands, and yet it is so perfectly rendered and so perfectly wrought that I think you know Greta Gerwig has set a new high watermark uh, for what a teen coming of age comedy should be. We are all out of time. Thank you so much, Deep Focus listeners, for listening, and we will catch up with you next week for another episode about movies in New Haven.